for a Halloween edition of Rumors, Money, and Movies. I know we haven't had an episode in a very, very long time, but I'm plan- I was planning on this. It's been a really tough month for me. Had a lot of work school-wise, but now I'm hoping that schedule's going to open up. Uh, I was watching too much sports in October. I mean, you know, we crowned a couple extra champions over here. I like King, LeBron James, like King. It's a new nickname. It's sticking, folks. Won his NBA championship. Good for him. Kevin Cash was the MVP for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, Jay, the analytics, the analytics tell us that if we take out Blake Snell, who's giving up two hits, we got a 46.9% chance to win. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Adios, males. But now that that stuff's done, and all, you know, I'll have more time. Uh, and also, speaking of the podcast, I have a couple interviews in the works, so expect interviews with some up either artists or professors or something like that. In the near future, I'm planning a couple interviews trying to get people on, iron out the dates and the specifics, but some interesting stuff on that end of the spectrum. I also want to shout out to Mr. Uh, or Sir Sean, Sean Connery, who died on, on uh, today or October 31st, you may not be listening to it today. And just want to shout out to him, uh, legend, and, you know, he'll be missed. Look, I don't, I, I'm not too familiar with Sean Connery. I mean, I know who he is, obviously, Sean Connery, but I love him and Indiana Jones 3 is the funniest thing. Him and Harrison Ford, I laugh, think great, great stuff. So shout out to him. Another Hey, 90 years old, man, 90, good number. Uh, and uh, that's really the logistical side of things. And now we're going to move right into the movie news segment of the show. Tenet, uh, which I really focused on because I thought it was going to be a big deal. Well, it was kind of a big deal, but didn't end up being as much of a big deal as I thought it was going to be. Uh, made $340 million worldwide. So far, uh, it could probably get over $10 million. I mean, $10 million more, so it could push towards $350 million which is a lot below maybe what I think Warner Brothers would have been hoping, but frankly, not that bad of a result during a pandemic. When like a lot of the theaters weren't even, either A, were closed, B, were open in limited capacities, and people were afraid to go out to the movie theaters, mostly because of the media. Um, and so, uh, though, I mean, I didn't go either. I can't I can't say anything. Though, I honestly, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, if they, let's put this way, 10 and I won't go. If Wonder Woman comes out in December, you're damn right I'm going to be there. Christmas. Christmas. That's a Christmas present for me. Just give me that movie and I'm happy. Uh, but we're going to get to movies coming out a little bit later uh, in the show. But yeah, I mean, $340 million so far. Again, like I said, I it, again, it's I'm not saying it's 100% going to get over $350 million. But it has a chance to do so because, you know, you know, uh, I mean, you don't know. But I'm going to say... It made $1.3 million last weekend at the box office, for example. And if it and it's gonna con- and once you start making that much low, you know, you're gonna keep good legs because it's facing no competition and it's already a low number. So it's gonna keep it around, you know, uh a million two, a million one, you know, then a million, then it's gonna maybe go to eight hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, five hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, et cetera, et cetera. So because when you once you're once you're at $400,000, excuse me, you know, you're not going to have a a, a a decrease of 
fifty percent if you're at four hundred thousand, especially with no competition. So they have a chance to get the three hundred fifty million dollars, and that's gonna be that would still put it out as one of the biggest sci-fi. This movie, let's put it this way, basically has outperformed any other sci-fi movie, original sci-fi movie. It's it's outperformed for example, I've just a couple. Uh, Jupiter Ascending, you know, and things like that that are just it, it outperformed. It outperformed Power Rangers. It out, I mean, that's only original, but you get the idea. It outperformed uh, Charlie's Angels or Jack Reach. I don't know. I'm just listing kind of bad franchises that it outperformed, right? And so during the pandemic, which means if it wasn't during the pandemic, it made only fifty five million dollars in the in America, meaning that. If it, if it if it let's say it was right and it made two hundred eighty seven million dollars, uh, you know, foreign foreign for overseas, so fifty two million dollars domestic, two hundred eighty seven million dollars overseas. If it wasn't a pandemic, this movie probably would have made. I'm not I'm not I don't know for sure how much it would have made, but even I'd say okay, the the international is more representative of a non pandemic era. So if you didn't have a pandemic in the United States, or it wasn't as bad in the United States during when the movie came out. Because now Europe's bad, worse, and things like that. But when it came out back in September, you get a 50-50 split, or you get a 40-60. You could could have made 200 million, 220 million. Now you now you're at 500, over 500. So and then that's an unequivocal win for fur. an original movie. I understand it's Christopher Nolan, so there's different standards, but an original movie nonetheless. That to me is really the telling aspect of Tenet, and that's kind of going to put a unless anything crazy happens, that puts a rest on Tenet. I'm not even going to mention the other movies that are out. I mean, I'll mention them by name, but the money part is not back. I, I lied about that because there's just you know Warworth Grandpa. Uh, I mean, is not making money. Honest Thief with Liam Nielsen is not making Liam Nielsen is not making money now. Warworth Grandpa actually has got he's got the Nero. Not loving the movie news as of late. There's nothing to talk about. Absolutely not. I gotta. I gotta. We have a uh, Power Rangers reboot that may be coming out. Okay, <laughs> we got some TV shows. I don't talk about TV on this channel. Uh, you know, we have nothing. There's nothing to talk about. Absolutely nothing. Look at Hollywood news on your computer, folks. There's nothing to talk about over here. Absolutely nothing. Um, there's really just not a lot of to talk about besides the fact that there may be. Uh, an entire, an entire, like the movie industry might close again because there might be a lockdown. Belgium lockdown. A couple other countries in uh, Europe are considering lockdowns, which means we might be considering a lockdown. Which means there's gonna be no movies. And I'm gonna, ooh, you know, I want to watch Wonder Woman already. What can a man do to watch a Wonder Woman movie already? You move Dune. I want to watch Wonder Woman. You move No Time to Die. Can I have one thing in life? So this is basically making it so Netflix. There's two people releasing movies right now. Netflix. I mean, I gotta. I'm telling you. I've been telling people this behind the scenes. It's not a show, but I've been telling people this behind the scenes. I need to do a Netflix episode. They got about six, seven movies that we nominated for Best Picture. Again, I'm not gonna list them here right now. But they have about six or seven because I'm going to eventually. They, I mean, they have movies off the. They got the, They got movies coming out of them. It's just like movie, movie, movie every weekend. I'm like, who's paying for this? 
how do you get all these movies, man? And, like, I'm not even considering the ones that are awful. Like, the ones that are just garbage, like, nonsensical Lifetime movies. I'm talking about the ones that are good. Like, they got good actors and actresses. And then also, Focus Features, which is a subsidy of Universal, is releasing a bunch of movies into theaters. These are lower-budgeted, quote-unquote, Oscar movies. I mean, not all of them are going to nominated for Oscars. I mean, not all of them are Oscar movies. I, I, miss, I shouldn't say that, but... These are like, some of them are, others are just kind of like, you know, throwaway horror movies or, uh, you know, rando, like, you know, random movies. But anyway, the point being is, they're only releasing them because they have an ability. They signed a deal, Universal did with uh, AMC, in the in the aftermath of the Trolls World Tour uh, uh, pay-per-view style. If anyone recalls that that was a thing back in April with... Trolls War Tour just released the film onto uh, direct-to-video. And basically, Universal has a deal where they could say, hey, after 17 days, if we don't like what the movie's doing box office-wise, we can put the movie on direct-to-video. It's it's just more so for uh, experimental purposes. And now, let's talk about the movies. So now, speaking of the movies I just talked about, the movies that I've been watching for school, for class, okay? And this is really... What are we talking about for the rest of the show? And I'll try to keep it quick. So, at least for the German films. The other movies I'm going to be a little bit more uh, thorough about, at least some of them. But the German movies I'm going to be quicker with. So, the first German movie that I watched in the past month is The Marriage of Maria Braun. I'm only saying because I'm German now. Deutschland. Um, so, the critics and censors on Rotten Tomatoes is Hennes Schigula is a knockout in the marriage of Maria Braun, an intimate epic that reaffirms Rainer Werner's Fassbender's mastery of examining multifaceted people in a complicated and a complicated nation. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, critics score, and a 90% uh, consensus score. I liked it. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I mean, it wasn't curing my life, but some some one movie on here was I I loved it. But you know, it was it, I, I wrote down like just like a one line right after I watched it, slightly below average, slightly below average for a artistic film. Um, not in general. It's obviously better than a lot of these, a lot of movies in like, in general. Like it's better than some, you know. I mean, a horrendous movie that has no absolutely no thematic qualities to it. But it's about a woman who is in a marriage, and then like the guy dies, but she thought he died, but he didn't actually die, and it's this whole thing. So, and it's her trying to like come back with him and and be like okay with that. Um, but I just thought the plot was kind of mismanaged. Um, overall, like. And this, like, some stuff that happened made no sense. Like, they killed this guy, and then it's like, the guy didn't even, I don't even know. It was like, it made no sense. Um, So, uh, it, to me, it was kind of, it made sense. So, I mean, it, it made sense. I mean, one of the movies I hear made no sense. This one made sense. But it wasn't any, like, to me, I want to, logical. Some of the stuff that happened in the movie. Uh, and the ending to me was... was Because it, it was one of those movies that's kind of like... I'm going to withhold information. But, you know, sometimes... I don't know. It, it was a little too... I don't want to say abstract. Because that's not the proper word. But... Without giving the entire thing away... It was a little metaphorical. But in almost a... Too much of a broad brush manner. That, so that, to me, it, it didn't resonate with me. The second movie was Marianne and Julianne. 
and and this one doesn't actually have a Rotten Tomato score. So not all these movies do. I mean, the Maria Braun happened to, but the other movies in German, so and in, in German that we're gonna be talking about today, that they they don't they don't have it. Now Maria Marianne and Julian, I thought was uh, decent. It was actually pretty good. It's about two sisters growing up in Germany, West Germany specifically, and they are. And also, she said Maria Braun takes place post Second World War, but uh, overall, ton of years, by the way. The Marianne and Julianne is about two sisters growing up in West Germany. And one's basically a communist. She's part of the Red Army faction. The other one's basically a, a journalist. And it's part of the new German cinema era. If you, When I say that, think Hollywood cinema. And new, 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 new Hollywood, new age of Hollywood. Basically, it's just saying the end of the studio system and more of a focus on directors. When it's referred to in the United States, think... think Spielberg, think Lucas, think Capala, think Scorsese, those type of guys. Among others, obviously. That's not a that's not a, a full list. But and it ended. Fun fact, if you, want, if you want in Jeopardy, when did the studio system ended? Heaven's Gate, Michael Cimino. Look it up. Craziest movie ever. Maybe I'll review it one time. Not because it's that good, just because it's crazy. Well, I might review review his best movie and then I'll talk about that. That's definitely a guy I want to talk more about. He's insane. If you look up his default, he has one good movie and a bunch of awful ones. <laughs> but it's crazy. It's insane, that man. Insane. Uh, uh, but more coming on that. I'm not going to give it away. I'm a good, I'm a good little uh, trailer type guy. But Marianne and Julianne, and it's about basically these women trying to get, like, both dedicated to women's rights. But they fight it, they fight it in different ways. And they're basically, it's a commentary on kind of the complacency of democracy in certain aspects. The... I've seen other movies like this, uh, in Italian specifically, when I deal with the communist, uh, the communist sort of factions or terrorist. I don't know. I mean, there were terrorist organizations uh, within these Western countries. Like, I mean, the biggest one was Germany, and I mean, uh, excuse me, Italy had a massive one, uh, the Red Brigade. I mean, they they had like uh, twenty years where they were like, look, if you think terrorism in the end, like not ex excluding. New Age, but like there is compared to Italy, there has not been a lot of terrorism, domestic terrorism in the United States. Italy, you were having like policemen get shot, judges were getting shot, uh, like there were just like there were attacks, there were uh, they basically the, the Red Brigade like kidnapped. Think of think of like someone kidnapped like basically the equivalent of like Nancy Pelosi and like had them in like and like killed them. And, and had them in, a, like, captivity for, like, a while. That's basically what happened in Italy. Uh, so it was crazy. Italy, Italy was insane when it came to the Red Brigade. But this movie kind of touches on that. I thought it was good. And, uh, again, it's more so about, okay, like, who's right, who's wrong in a relationship. And uh, also, additionally, dealing with loss. Because one of the sisters, whatever, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but one of the sisters kind of has to deal with a big loss. And I kind of gave it away, but anyway, I don't, I'm assuming no one's really gonna watch the movies. I'm just trying to be nice, and because uh, I mean, only reason I say this is just because like Unforgiven, I'm gonna give it away. But like, I feel like everyone's seen Unforgiven. It happened 30 years ago, and it's American. These movies, I don't know. Maybe you want to search some German cinema. I have no idea. But anyway, you know, she has to deal with loss, and also there's like a daughter, one of the communist sister, like had like a son that she basically abandoned, and it's this whole thing. It's a little confusing actually. 
but it, there's a little kind of intercutting you don't really know until later on in the story. Like some like time jumps and you don't really know what's going on. But overall, a pretty solid film. At Second Glance, which came out in 2012, uh, the woman who directed this, Sherry Hagen, Hagen, uh, I don't know why I said like I was from Boston, Hagen from Boston, McClanahan, McClanahan, come to Claire. I don't even know. I can't do a Boston accent. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Bostonak. Um, so Sherry Hagen. We have like she she came into my class or my, not my class, but she came into the class that I was in, and we like interview not interviewed her, but we were asking questions about the movie, which is actually very interesting. Um, uh, I don't know why. I mean, I don't. This is the type of things you shouldn't. It wasn't my favorite movie. I mean, I, she was a nice woman, uh, and I enjoyed her. I enjoyed what she, her commentary, but it wasn't to me. It wasn't the best movie. Kind of weird, and it ended in like a weird spot. It's a good. It's not her. It's it's good. It's good. But it wasn't my favorite movie. I think I can say that, and I mean, we can be nice to each other and, and have different opinions. I, I didn't think it was the best movie ever, but it's about these people. It focuses on blindness. You know, everyone in a there's like three relationships they focus on, and in one of the relationships is one blind woman and a and a man who's a widow, a widower, and another uh, relationship there's a blind man who gets caught into like an affair with this uh, man who's married, but he's that obviously he's gay. And there's another relationship with this woman who's going blind, who's losing her eyesight, falls in love with a man who is blind. But their stories kind of all intertwine, and somebody gets run over at the end. But it kind of ends in a weird spot because you're like, well, there's probably probably could have been like 15 more minutes left of this. And you want because sometimes you know you try to like end on a, a sometimes you know some movies are supposed to end on the climax, right? The climax happens and it's, it's done, right? Like like it all wraps up evenly. But other times movies need that cleanup period uh you know a 10 minute peanut it's just kind of like write it off i'm not you know some movies go overboard but you need that and, and this movie kind of ended in a weird spot but overall pretty good pretty good coming out is an and this was a this is a modern german film 2020 2012 coming out is an east german film about uh, a man who is uh gay but like you know he's Tries trouble accepting himself as gay and gets married after one night with this woman. I I made no sense. Again, made no sense. We're one of those. I mean, I meet you. Let's fall in love. I'm like, bro, you met you know for one day. What what are you doing? I mean, they didn't know each other for one day because they were like old high school friends. But I don't mean nothing. They don't mean nothing. Why are you getting married? What are you doing? I hate that. I hate that. I hate like this. Like, let's get married after knowing each other for two days. Is there no other way to like represent like a love? Just say we're we're in love. Why do you gotta be married? I don't understand that. Many, many spiel from me, but it happens in so many movies. I don't understand these people. Why? 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 If you explain that to me, you win. You win the golden ticket. But anyway, the uh, this is, doesn't have a Rotten Tomato score. Um, and it has a poor audience score. But that was probably because the ending made no sense. It, it made sense, but his life is kind of messed up, and the movie ends. <laughs> Basically, I, you know, so not for everybody. In that sense, because it's just kind of weird ending, but it's a good film. It's a it's a decent film. Um, I'm very inconsistent about spoiling plots, so I apologize for that. Um, the final film that I watched for German so far, nobody loves me. <sighs> okay, weird. Can I say very strange? That that's what I wrote for mine. Very strange, man. Very strange. 
Lord Almighty, man. I don't even, I don't know where to begin. It's so weird. Uh, so it focused on a woman who is trying to find love and basically, uh, like, full, meets an African witch, like a witch doctor type thing. And this was released in 1994. Let me restart. Mary Brown, 78. Marion and Julianne, 81. Coming out, 89. At Second Glance, 2012. And now this one I'm talking about, uh, Nobody Loves Me, 1994. But so weird. I mean, it's the weirdest movie I've ever seen in your life. I mean, one of the it was like not even experimental. It was just made no. It was just weird. I mean, this woman is like just her characterization's off the charts. You know, she falls in love with this guy with like barely knowing him. Uh, then has sex with him. Then her best friend like is actually like in love with him or something like. It made no. It was just like what is going on? You know, this guy like pulls like nobody's business, man. I mean, he is like. Getting every single woman in, in the story. There's like, you just see this guy with this one girl. I'm like, whoa, okay. She's a fairly attractive woman. Next night with another, I'm like, bro, what? This guy ain't nothing special. Anyway, so I guess shoot your shot. I have no idea. But my friend and I were saying, are they prostitutes? We weren't sure. The whole and yeah, the movie's weird as heck, man. Weird as heck. The the witch doctor like dances around and witch in like in like polka dots and like uh basically uh, happens to be gay, uh, but then the man he loves just, like, basically starts making out with a guy in front of him, and then he gets AIDS, and then there's, like, this whole thing about aliens. I mean, not actually aliens, but it's kind of weird because, like, there kind of is aliens in it, but, like, they're not on screen, and it's, like, I don't think there's aliens, but it's, like, it's weird. Like, metaphorically, there's aliens, but then, like, some really weird supernatural stuff happens, and then you're, like, well, I don't think this is real, but then, like, everybody in the movie's reacting to it. So, like, maybe it is real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that, that's this movie. That's this movie. So, I'll start with the simpler ones first, or the ones I'm going to spend less time on uh, to begin. The first movie I'm going to talk about was actually one of the last ones I watched, which was Real Engine, uh, which was in real with an EE. And this was about a documentary about Basically, the treatment of Native Americans on screen. It is an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. The funniest thing about this whole thing, the saddest thing, not funny, it's sad. Gotta clear that up for everybody. Is the fact that it's directed by a man named Neil Diamond. But if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's linked to Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, it's just, that, that's kind of representative of what the movie's trying to fight against. But it, it talks about how, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there's the bad treatment that, that Native Americans received on film, on screen. Just disrespect for Native, Native treatment when it comes to Western specifically. And it was how people, you know, they were just portrayed as savages and and less than human. And they had no characterization. And how now there's actually a new age of cinema that's building. Not actually less in recent years, but more in like the 2000s. Which uh, one of the films that was featured in that we, we actually watched for class was Smoke Singles. Which came out in 1998 was scripted by Chris Ear and stars Adam Beach, who, if uh, people actually will know, um, if you've seen uh, Flags of Our Fathers, uh, he was in that. He had a main role in that. That was directed by Clint Eastwood. And, and there's several others. I mean, he, he's been uh, uh, in multiple movies. Uh, and there's been others in the film, like. 
uh, Irene uh, Bernard, who actually played uh, Pocahontas in, in, the, in the Disney film. Uh, like the Disney, uh, what would you call it? The Disney, uh, oh man, animated movie. I don't know why I forgot what that meant. And, the, and there's a series of others that people would, would be familiar with. Uh, or you've seen. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to you know know what it is, who they are, but you would have seen them. And it's good. It's it's a pretty decent. It's a pretty good film. Um, to be honest with you, it has any three percent on tomatoes, and the critics' score is smoke singles tells a familiar story from an underrepresented point of view, proving that a first perspective can help subvert long-established expectations. You know, it was an hour and thirty minutes. Was it anything special? I wouldn't say that, but it's a road trip movie about Native Americans, and and one of their fathers died, and there's like a whole backstory to one of the man's fathers and he has to come to terms with his father's legacy and again like i said it's 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 fine you know it's a good film it's an hour and a half it's a feel-good story uh it's not anything to i don't think you know it's gonna cure your life but it's better than other movies that i've seen honestly and that's a win if you're not gonna waste my time i'm happy with as long as you're gonna give me that i respect that now First movie I'm going to focus on could have been a classic movie, and that's The Searchers, directed by John Ford and starring John Wayne. Now, this movie famously was not nominated for any Oscars. Well, not that fool you, though. It's one of the greatest, considered one of the greatest films of all time. It's critics and sense on Rotten Tomatoes is The Searchers, an epic John Wayne western. Then it uses dark ambivalence to the genre that remains fashionable today. 98% critic score, 88% audience score. Cinematography is fantastic. John Wayne is pretty good in this film. And it opens complexity to the film because, to the Western, because it's not just a basic, let's sling some guns, let's kill some Native Americans. Part of that is it, for sure. But there's a complexity because one of the main characters is part Native American, Martin Aparley. There's a concern about, you know, what happens to... I mean, it's all kind of racist ideology, but uh, not kind of. But, like, you know, should we kill this white woman because she's been, like, you know, entrenched in Native American society? But John Wayne kind of plays a complex figure because, you know, he's got to decide these sort of things. And he's on the run. He's on, not on the run, but he's searching for people who are on the run. And it kind of incorporates very small things like true love and, you know, weird kind of love type thing between not. Uh, uh, John Wayne and his sister-in-law. So, not in real life, I mean in the movie. Um, but, overall, it really brings a complexity to Westerns that isn't shown. Again, it's written by John Ford, but it wasn't nominated for any Oscars. As we know, Oscars mean nothing. So, they mean nothing. They're stupid, they're a little prize, they're a gimmick. Alright? How do you not nominate this movie for any Oscars? Now, did I love it? No. But, I mean, come on. I, I mean, I put you right now. More, I don't know, 1956. A lot of people can name this movie. Not a lot of people can name the other movies that were nominated in the, uh, in the 1956 Oscars. So, I don't know why it wasn't nominated. I, we don't know why. Though. The Oscars, they just picked. They're like, hey, let's pick this one, this one, and this one. Yo, Bohemian Rhapsody. Get a, I mean, think about it. Bohemian Rhapsody is nominated for an Oscar and not this movie, folks. Oh, Lord Almighty, can it help us, please, Lord? How is that? Okay, can I just... That movie's so awful. It's horrendous. Not only... It's 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 minor problems are the fact that it's, like, homophobic. 
because it's not blatantly homophobic, but it's like under the table homophobic. That's its that's its minor problems. Forget the major ones. I mean, goodness, movie is movie is that movie is genuinely horrendous. Like that movie needs to get burned somewhere. So then we can make a real Freddie Mercury documentary that isn't like a shame that the guy was gay. Sorry, not sorry, because I heard so. Oh, I love that movie, Jane. I don't care if you loved it. Give me a break. Movie's awful. It's horrendous. And I know people. Oh, well, it's your opinion. Okay, you're you're right in that. Movie's trash, man. Absolute trash. It's not only is it embarrassing that movie got nominated, it's embarrassing that people like that movie. It's literally home. It's the least bad problem in the fact that it's homophobic. Now, speaking of which, Surge was nominated in 1956. It was made in 1956. Shadow of a Doubt, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, 1943. You want to talk about, again, another movie. One of the greatest films of all time. For some reason, not nominated as much as it should have been. Again, again, you know, you, you can't win with these. You can't win. You can't win with people. Nominated for one. Best original screenplay. Okay. Now, this film has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. An 89% audience score. Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock's earliest classic and his own personal favorite deals its flesh-crawling thrills as deftly as it is finely shaded characters. As it's finely shaded characters. Movie is good, folks. It's good stuff. It's, uh, it's good. I mean, it's good. There's nothing else to say. I said very good on my thing. It's my fav one of my favorites that I've had to watch for school. It's Fuego. From Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. It, 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 it's great sort of thing. It stars it stars Teresa Wright, Joseph Collin, Hume Crone, McDonald Carey, Henry Travers, Patricia Collin. Uh, so it's great. I mean, it's about a story that Charlie Mann basically, you don't really know a lot about him, but he's kind of on the run, goes to meet his sister in California. And slowly but surely, the information starts to come out that maybe this guy isn't that good. We don't know a lot about him. He may be trying to do some really bad things, get away with some crimes, yada, yada, yada. It's good stuff. There's good There's good shots. There's good cinematography. Obviously, Alfred Hitchcock does that in his sleep. He just wakes up in the morning and does it. Also, speaking of which, we did review Vertigo, which also wasn't nominated for enough Oscars. Because, again, the Academy Awards is stupid. Let's nominate... Uh, Yo, Black Panther, let's nominate that. Ooh, ooh, what? 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 Say what now? Let's nominate, uh, what was in the movie? Um, oh my god, oh my god, I don't know the name. But the one that, there was a movie that got like a 43% of Rotten Tomatoes that was nominated. With like Tom Hanks. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And, then the, and, then, and there was one that, the one Best Picture with Meryl Streep, I'm like, I don't even know who booked this, man. It has a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not even a good movie. You know how many movies aren't even good, Wayne, bro? It's about some Africa movie. I don't even know. It's like they fall in love in Africa. Of course they fall in love in Africa. Robert Redford and uh, uh, Meryl Streep. Goodness, man. Goodness, man. Out of Africa. That's the name. Out of Africa. Again, I don't know who booked that movie. Based off a book. I guess we know who booked it then. Anyway, Shadow of a Doubt is really good. Uh, I'm not actually not going to spoil this one because if you're even if you're my age, go see this movie, man. Go see this movie. 
Fuego, fire. It's good stuff. Really good. See, I'm not... See, I don't like... Every, see, guys, contrary to popular belief for some of this narrative that I hate everything, I actually don't. I love this movie. I love it. Love this movie. Good stuff from Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, do I like it as much as Vertigo? I just thought of that in my brain. Um, Recency bias? Yes. But actually, probably not. I don't know. Vertigo's good, too. Vertigo can go as well. No pun, in, pun intended, by the way. Uh, but this movie, again, is a thriller. It's about, uh, again, manipulation, manipulating situation, and great dialogue. And it's a, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. And that's all I need. Give me good characterization. I don't need gimmicks. These gimmick movies, it's our, it's our James, though. James. It's artistic. It's artistic excellence. I don't care. Give me a good movie and I'll be happy. That's all I'm asking. I'm a simple kind of man. Give me a good movie. That's all I need in this world. I don't need, uh, you know, 19 gimmicks and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, all I need is give me good thrills, give me good cinematography, and give me good characterization. Teresa Wright is great in this movie. She's great. She plays a, she plays a, you know, it's a good, good part. She's the act, she's the lead. And not only that, she plays the part well. She's, you know, uh... I don't, kind of helpless, but not really. She can handle herself, but she's also in a helpless situation. She has no winning from this. And it doesn't take an easy, it isn't, now it kind of cops out. The ending's kind of a cop-out. That's the only thing I will say. The ending's kind of a cop-out, but it, even if it is somewhat of a cop-out, it's not a full-fledged cop-out. And that's the best part of it. You know, it's like a partial cop-out. And that's the good thing. Um, Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I am not revealing the uh, what happened? But I will tell you this: Teresa Wright, 1941, nominated for Best Supporting Actress; 1942, one one Best Supporting Actress; 1942, nominated for Best Actress. She should have been nominated for Best Actress in this one too. We made it four in a row. That would have been, you know, you don't get runs like that. But anyway, they didn't win. She didn't get nominated because again, the Oscars are stupid. Uh, let's nominate. Uh, what's another movie I can make fun of? Let's nominate. Uh. Uh, I don't even know. Who was nominated last year? I don't even remember. No, Joker, I'm not going to make fun Joker was good. I'm not going to make fun of Joker. Um, I don't, I don't even know. Shit, I don't even know. Anyway, I have to think of them. I have to think. I don't want to, I don't want to hit the easy ones, you know. I don't want to make fun of, like, I, you know, I already, I already, I already, I already made fun of movies like, you know, Moonlight or something like that. I got to be nice now to Moonlight. I got to be nice now. The final movie, which is my actual favorite, this is honestly one of my Top five favorite movies ever, hands down. Um, it's in that range. I, I will tell you this. this: this podcast gave me two new ones, three new ones, three new ones. I don't even know what my top five would be, but I know there's three for sure that are gonna be in there. Chinatown, I love that movie. Blade Runner, I love that movie. And I don't care. And some people don't like it that I know, but I don't care. This movie though is Unforgiven. Adios, meus, man. What a what a film. What a picture. Uh, Chris consensus as both the director and star, Clint Eastwood strips away decades of Hollywood varnish applied to the Wild West and emerges with a series of harshly eloquent statements about the nature of violence. Tomato meter, 96%. Audience score, 93%. That's what I'm talking about, folks. And it was nominated for everything, folks. It was nominated for everything. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Act Director, Best Actor, Clint Eastwood, Best Supporting Actor. Gene Hackman, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing. 
And it won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor. One of the greatest films of all time, hands down. One of the best westerns of all time, hands down. Um, it was actually voted, and this is funny. Not funny, but it was actually voted the fourth best western behind The Searchers and Shane. Shane! <laughs> the little boy and Shane. Little Joey and Shane. Shane! Anyway, this movie's great. It has Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, uh, Richard Harris. I wrote an essay about this. I, lo I love this movie. I love. Where do I begin with this movie? Now, it's a revisionist western. What does that mean? It means basically westerns, they glorify violence, they glorify... You know, oh, it's good to be the gunslinger. This movie, forget all of that. Violence isn't good. Violence isn't good. And they show the actual consequences of violence. Honestly, I would show Quentin Tarantino this movie. Here you go, buddy. Read. read. This is. Or I would show, like, any movie that's trying to make, like, smart commentary on, like, unnecessary deaths or casualties and violence, you should be watching this movie. Well, there isn't necessarily that, right? There is a lot of... Great commenting about, okay, is violence justified? Does violence sell violence? Does violence solve violence? Right? Is violence really good? Is it a good thing to have? It's phenomenal. Not only is his character fantastic. I mean, there's so much depth to his character. You know, there's there's exposition that reveals things that we don't really think about. You know, there's a, there's, is he really moral? But also the the parallels between him and Gene Hackman's character and how they're both morally corrupt. And yet the, the filming techniques, cinematography, uh, reaction shots, sound editing, things like that, make it seem as though for Clint Eastwood's character, which make him seem like the hero. And yet Clint Eastwood's character actually does worse things than Little Bull's character. I mean, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a you have statements about women's rights and prostitution. And I mean, some of the, and also I will say this. My favorite part about this movie is the fact that the scenes that are, don't even really move the plot along. Gene Hackman and English Bob. English Bob never meets, ne never meets the main characters. Yet English Bob and those scenes, specifically the one where, you think I'm kicking you, Bob? I'm talking. That's what Gene Hackman says. Or, or Clint Eastwood talking with Delilah. Uh, which is, I mean, I mean, those two scenes are my favorite scenes in the entire movie. And they don't move the plot along. They're not, they're not really important to the plot. I mean, the scene with Eastwood and Delilah is fantastic. I mean, it's a great film. It's a great piece of dialogue, act, uh, acting, everything about it is great. And the Clint Eastwood, I mean, the Gene Hackman thing is the best scene in the whole movie. I don't give it, I don't even care about the finale. It's the best scene. I would say the finale is even better, even is is great too, because Clint Eastwood just basically devolves into a moral. You know, he basically says, you know, if anyone challenges me, I'm gonna kill them. I'm not gonna kill them. I'm gonna kill their wife. I'm gonna kill their friends. I'm gonna burn their house down. All right, sir. I mean, it's it's, and then you just have so many. I mean, this, there's scenes uh, where, I mean, Clint Eastwood kills Davy, and Davy is. Uh, who was one of the people who who cut up Delilah? Spoiler alert, folks. Spoilers all ahead now. And, you know, he gets shot. And he's like, I'm dying, boys. I'm dying. I'm dying. I've been shot. And Cleanus was like, can you give him some water, please? Give him some water. It's just fantastic. I mean, it's just like, is he saying that because he doesn't want to hear Davy cry? Is he saying that because he feels bad for Davy? But he just shot Davy. Meanwhile, Ned, Morgan Freeman's character, didn't. 
right? Schofield kid thinks he's a big shot, kills one guy, and now he's crying, drinking alcohol, saying, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. Well, I don't kill people. But you said you were killing people. You named yourself the Schofield kid. Like, it's just that in itself is perfect. Minor lines are fantastic. I mean, you have little Bill uh, when when they first cut up the prostitute. You know, he's trying to find up a – trying to write a sentence for these guys. And Strawberry Alice, the lead, the head prostitute, is like, this isn't fair, little Bill. And he's like, have you seen enough blood for one night? I mean, even that. And then, like, even the little mannerisms, he, like, kind of tells her to go F off. But then she, he feels bad. It's just these little minor things that just all come together. This is a picture. Don't shill me anything else, folks. This is a, this is what a best picture winner looks like. This is what a film that wins best picture. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not Moonlight. It's not some artistic, it's artistic. Give me characterization. Give me good writing. Give me good plot that moves forward, that has a conclusion, that blurs the lines, that makes a complicated statement, that pushes a narrative. That's what Unforgiven does. Fabulous movie. Fantastic. Tour de force. It, I mean, the acting strip superb. Everything about the movie is good. Literally, English Bob is in the movie for 15 minutes, and I like the guy. It's a fantastic movie. Hands down, to me, one of the best movies of all time. But I think that's a, a thorough way to end the podcast today because you want to say I don't like anything, folks? Right there. I love this movie. I love this movie, man. I love it. And I think a lot of other people do. So just a, out there for all my, not haters, but I mean, guys, if I don't like something, I'm not going to shill it. If I like something, I'm not going to shill it. This movie doesn't need to be shilled. That's how good it is. So if I don't like something, not even don't like it, but if I have problems with it, doesn't mean I hate everything, doesn't mean I hate the characters, doesn't mean I hate everything that people like. I like Unforgiven. And guess what? A lot of other people like Unforgiven. Because it's that good. It doesn't need to be shilled. It doesn't need to be protected. I, if you want to talk about a perfect movie, I can't I can't think of one thing I don't like about this movie. I can't. I can't off the top of my head. I'm thinking right now, and I can't. That's how again, I haven't seen it multiple times, so I you know, Dark Knight, I love, and then I, I saw it too many times over exposure, right, uh, over the years. But this movie, I can't, I, I, I'm going to watch, I, I basically watched it twice, but I watched it once, but then the other time I was kind of fast-forwarding through for, like, quotes and things. But that's the end of the podcast, folks. Thank you for joining for the uh, Halloween special. Again, be on the lookout for those two interviews that I'll be having or more than two interviews that I'll be having. And just to end this podcast today, folks, again, rip to Sean Connery. Um, and this is what I'm going to be doing. I, I, I felt that I didn't give enough respect to Chadwick Boseman, Wakanda Forever. He has a movie coming out uh, in December with Viola Davis, and I'm sure I'll be doing a little bit of a tribute there for him. I, I felt maybe I kind of discredited his death or, or made it seem less important than it was. So rip to Chadwick Boseman, but certainly rip to Sean Connery. And again, I want to end on these words from one of the best to ever do it, to end the show today, Sean Connery. Thank you, everybody. The point is, I think, if actors and actresses are good at what they do, and if you, the audience, are affected, moved by the stories we help to tell, then that's the real reward. Truthfully, it's the stuff in between the punches, the shootings and the car crashes that really count. The scenes between the men and the women that try to say something about 
how we really behave, how we really feel. That's ultimately what moves people and sends them to the theatres, pays to see our films. In other words, I prefer my audiences stirred, not shaken. Uh, I thank you again for this. I promise to do everything I can to deserve it, except retire. Thank you.